and hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get a Bible on your lap in front of you, and turn it to John chapter 3, and if you need a Bible, there is one somewhere nearby you under a chair. Uh, grab that one, and then uh, uh, the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John in the New Testament. Uh, find that there, uh, chapter 3. And as you turn there, um, I want to read you a quote uh, by a guy named uh, A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer was a, a pastor, a Christian author, early, mid 19. Hundreds, and um, he said this What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Just want to give some time for that to kind of sink in. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Uh, why would A.W. Tozer say this? And is A.W. Tozer right in saying this? Because anytime you say something is the most important thing, like that's a, that's a big statement. That's a definitive statement. And he says the most important thing about us is what we think about, what comes into our mind when we, when we talk about God, when we're thinking about God. What is it that we're thinking about who God is? And I, and I would agree with Tozer on this. Because I think, you know, all of us would, we come to learn that what we believe, our doctrine, really shapes how we go about living our life. And if doctrine, what we believe, shapes how we live, there is no more central or important doctrine than ultimately what we believe about who God is. Um, what we believe about who God is will shape more than anything else how we go about living and relating to God, how we go about walking with God in relationship or maybe uh, not in relationship. And so um, I agree with Tozer that he says uh, the most important thing about us is what comes to mind when we think about God. So I just want to ask us and to just even think. For yourself, what, what comes into your mind? What do you think about when you think about God? Is maybe, a, a, for some of you, maybe like a fun-loving, grandfatherly type come into your mind? Maybe for others in here, does, does thoughts of a demanding dad come into your mind? Do you just think of God as the man upstairs? Do you think of God as maybe like a, a, a buddy, someone who's just there with you? Just, just as, as we preach, as I, as I preach this day, just be thinking about what comes into your mind when you think about God. Now, why I'm saying this is because last week um, we began a four-week series um, pretty much focused on John, one verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And last week we said that that verse is a statement that we find in the midst of an, a conversation Jesus is having with a very moral, a very religious, a high caliber leader in the culture of that day, a guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes and he basically asks a question that at the heart of it was, who are you? You're doing these things. It's amazing. We're seeing it. Obviously God's got to be with you, but who are you? And Jesus replies with a really interesting response. He says, unless you are born again, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And a conversation about what it means to be born again and how we see the kingdom of God ensues. And within that conversation, Jesus says this statement, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, 
today and the next two Sundays after today, we focus exclusively on that one statement that we find in John 3.16. And I think the tendency would be to fly right past those first two words. And I just want you to look down in your Bibles. What are the first two words of John 3.16? You tell me, what are they? For God. And I think our tendency is, is when we really chop up verses and try to unpack what they're saying, it's, okay, I think I got that. There's probably not much I need to delve down deeply into on the for God thing. Let's move on to what does it mean that he loved the world and he gave his son and uh, that, that no one would perish and that people would have eternal life. What, is, what does that mean? But I think it's so crucial for us this, this Sunday to just camp out on those first two words. Because until we understand the nature of who God is, I don't think we can have the right understanding of how this God has loved the world and how he has sent his son and how he has invited people in to not perish but have relationship with the son and everlasting life. And so today we focus exclusively on these first two words and we seek to get a deeper and greater understanding of who God is. Now, uh, maybe two types of people sitting in the room here today. First type of people... Um, you are familiar with Christian teaching on God and the character of God and the attributes of God. My prayer for you is that, um, you know, I don't think any of us can sit in here and say we're, we're subject matter experts on God, right? You're like, I've exhausted all of the study I can possibly do on who God is. So just been praying this week that God would deepen our understanding of himself. And as he always, always, without fail, every time God deepers our under, deepens our understanding of himself, worship wells up in our heart, doesn't it? And so just praying that, that that study for us would well up worship. Now, others of us in the room are maybe less familiar with the teaching of the character and attributes and nature of who God is. And maybe you're not a Christian or you've grown up in a different faith background than Christianity. I just want you to hear me say this today. Um, it doesn't matter who I think God is, and it doesn't matter who you think God is. It doesn't matter what um, a religious structure told you God was. It matters who God says he was. And we believe as Christians that God has revealed himself to us in his word. And so um, I, just, I just, I want you to know the foundational starting point I'm coming from is who has God revealed himself to us, said to be in his word. And I'm just praying that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, would align, would grow, come down, grab your heart today, and align it with the truth of how he's revealed himself here. Now, one other thing before I jump in. Uh, look on your note. If you walked in, you got note sheet walking through the door here. Um, on the top of that, back of that note sheet, it says the John 3.16, and then it says God is is dot, 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 and then under God is, you have three, fill in the blank. You all with me on that, right? Now, let me say something. I fully know that God cannot be summarized with three fill in the blanks on the back of a sermon note sheet, right? We could have 57, we can have all, we could have 957 fill in the blanks, and we wouldn't even be scratching the surface of who God is, we could preach a 40-minute sermon today and one for all of eternity after, and we would be a millimeter deep on who God is. And all the, the, the amens that were just said in here is because there's something inside of our heart that loves that. He is ultimate, and we are not. And we can never fully delve down deeply and go, I think I got him. I know. He, I can fully summarize who God is, right? Can't do it. And so just I, I totally recognize today 40-minute sermon, three fill-in-the-blank bullet points cannot adequately express 
all that is involved with who God is. And yet, on the other side of that coin, God is a relational God and has revealed himself to us generally in creation and specifically in his word and longs for us to know him. And as we walk with Jesus, to increasingly know him and longs for us to study more about him. And so he's this God we can never fully be a subject master expert of and yet longs to be known and longs for us to know him. And so that's the tension we walk in today, gaining a greater understanding of who God, one true, ultimate God, God of the universe is, that would allow worship to well up in our hearts and leave us more amazed with all we still don't know about him. Amen? And so let's pray, ask for God's help, and then, oh, before I pray, I want to tell you how we're doing this today. I'm going to take us to three stopping points in Scripture, three different places in Scripture we're going to go. Please, though, go like, what, you know, what, what, okay, we're here, we're here, we're here. All of this is tethered to those first two words of John 3.16, for God. And so as we go to Exodus and then Genesis and then 1 John, remember, all of it's tethered to that understanding, who is God? Because when John 3.16 starts with those two words, for God, it's telling us God is the active agent here. God is doing something on behalf of humanity here. We got to understand who that God is. All right, pray now and let's get into it. Father, help us. Lord, how inadequate does anyone feel to stand and preach on the character and nature of who you are? God, will you reveal yourself to us? Will you show us more of who you are as we talk about you as the great I am, creator, father? Lord, will you, will you by your spirit open up the eyes of our heart that we would see in a deeper, clearer, greater way than maybe we've seen before? Will you take one of these, these, these headline subjects we're talking about in each of these three points and will you speak into our heart what we needed to hear today on the character and the nature of who you are in that regard? And God, would you just meet with us now? We want to meet with you. We want to hear from you. We want you to say something into our heart through your word. Lord, would your spirit's presence just descend powerfully on us as your word goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. So at first, first stopping point, if you will, with your Bible in front of you or maybe a phone or iPad in front of you, go to Exodus chapter 3. So go all the way back to the beginning. Book of Exodus is the second book into your Bible. Exodus chapter 3. And while you turn there, let me give you a little bit of background of where we're jumping into in the story of Exodus. And uh, it begins with an understanding of a guy named Moses. And if you've grown up in church, you're familiar with that name. But if you haven't, hear a little bit about Moses. Moses was an Israelite living in Egypt. Um, Moses was born, and the Pharaoh at the time had issued a decree that the male, uh, Israelite male, male children were to be uh, killed. And Moses' mom hid him in a basket on the edge of a river, and Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses. And Moses grows up in living like an Egyptian, living an Egyptian lifestyle, living in the royalty of Egypt, but he's an Israelite. And one day as he's grown, he walks out and he sees the way an Israelite slave is being treated by an Egyptian. And Moses' anger overcomes him and he kills the Egyptian right there. 
The next day, Moses goes back out, and he sees two Israelites arguing with each other. And he looks at them, and he says, why? You're both Israelites. You're brother. Like, why are you arguing with each other? And they look at Moses, and they say, oh, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And word begins to spread of what happened. Uh, Pharaoh hears of what Moses did. Pharaoh wants Moses dead for it. Moses flees, and he flees to a land called Midian. And it's while he's in Midian that he meets his wife, a woman named Zipporah. And it's while he's in Midian that he goes to work for Zipporah's dad. He's a shepherd for his father-in-law. And as a shepherd for his father-in-law, Moses is out watching the sheep one day when he sees something kind of interesting. He sees a bush on fire. Now that in itself is interesting, but there's something more interesting about this bush. It's not being consumed. It just keeps burning and burning and burning and burning and burning. Moses walks up to it, and God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. And God calls Moses to something. Go back to Egypt and lead my people out of Egyptian slavery into the promised land. And Moses begins this dialogue back. He's like, God, I think you got the wrong guy. Like, here's all the reasons why I can't do that. Here's the questions I have for you. And in one question, Moses asks a very important question. God reveals something so important that we need to understand today about who he is. And so Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, look at what God says here. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So uh, think about this. Moses isn't being real obedient here, and he's pushing back on God, but he asks a question that maybe you would think to ask too. He says, okay, God, you want me to go back to the Israelites in Egypt, and you want me to say, God told me I'm here to lead you out into the promised land. What if they say, oh, really, God said that? What's his name? Like, what do I say to that? God, and God answers him. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And now maybe... Part of your brain, if you're like Moses, is going, I don't, I don't think I would have understood any more after the answer than I did before the answer. Like, what, what does God mean when he's asked, what's your name? And he says, I am who I am. Or the footnote, if you've got a footnote in your Bible and you look down at the bottom of the page. Or, or also could be translated, I am what I am. Or I will be what I will be. Now, this is a profound answer to Moses's question. And we have to understand maybe a bit um, different than our culture today, what all went into a name. Names had significant meaning in scripture. Uh, The names of God have most significant meaning. When you see God referred to in scripture as Jehovah Jireh, that means something. God provider. Um, In our culture, names can have meaning or they don't. Uh, The name Brock, my name, has deep and profound meaning to it. It means badger, (laughs) like the animal. My, uh, My wife and I chose to go the deep meaning name for our kids. Our oldest son's name is Kaysen. And a meaning of names website I read this week, Kaysen, uh, here's the meaning of Kaysen. 
21st century American invention. In the race to find the newest, freshest, most distinguishable name in the U.S., American parents are practically creating names out of the blue at this point. That's what it says. That's what it says. Deep, deep. Like, we are deep people, okay? Um, so we, we live in a culture in which our names can have meaning, or they're just, they just, why is your name Brock? Because, yeah. My parents were deciding between Chet and Brock. Praise the Lord for Brock, right? <laughs> Chet, if you're in here, I'm sorry, man. I'm just, I'm just grateful to be a Brock. Um, scripturally, though, God is doing something when he communicates. You want to know my name? You want to know my name? I am who I am. Like, because names have meaning, I can't even describe, I can't even self-proclaim a, main, a name to you that would encapsulate who I am. I am who I am. And this I am who I am is where the Israelite people would get the name Yahweh. And they wouldn't even speak the name Yahweh. They wouldn't want to be irreverent to the Lord by speaking his name. This is where Yahweh, this is where we see in the English translation of Bibles, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is where all of this flows down from. Now, we do need to understand that as God communicates, as asked, what's your name? And God says, I am who I am. He is communicating through that. And so let me give you the first point here, and then let's break this down a little. God is, who is God? God is, first and foremost, we need to understand, he is the holy I am. He is the holy I am. Now, what might we need to understand about what God is communicating about himself when he calls himself I am? And I know there's no list of things that can adequately summarize what God means when he says that he is the great I am. But a couple of things that I believe God is communicating in his name here. The first thing that I just want to highlight from God revealing himself as I am is this. I think he's revealing his self-existence. What I mean by that, no one created God. Think about how unfathomable of a thought that is for us. Every single person we see, everything we see in the world we live has a genesis. It has a beginning. God has no beginning. There's no one who named God. He has always been. He is the self-existent one. He is the uncaused cause. He is ultimate. You're like, okay, pastor, that, you know, that's cool and all, but what does that have to do with my life on an everyday basis? Think about that. If he is ultimate, it means we are not. And I know how quickly my heart rushes to live like I am ultimate or my stuff, the things I think are ultimate are ultimate. He is self-existent. Another thing I think is communicated as he reveals himself like this is this. He is unchanging. Where do I get that? I am who I am. The footnote. I am what I am. Another possible translation. I will be what I will be. God, think about what your life looked like 10, 20 years ago. Are you the same person you were 10, 20 years ago even? Are you the same person you're going to be in 10 to 20 years? 
Think about how much we change. Think about how much changes in the world that we live. And now let your mind try to come to terms with the fact that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not had any minor tweaks. He is the same. He is unchanging. He has never changed and he never will. When he says, I will be what I will be, that will never change. And he's this self-existent, unchanging, and then it's going to look like with this third bullet, like I'm just saying the same things I've been saying, and I probably am, but I want to make this point here. He is who he says he is. Why is that important in our culture? For the reason I highlighted a bit in the introduction, we live in a culture of relativity today. And what that means is everyone, not everyone, that's an overstatement. Preachers are amazing at overstatement. A lot of people will will make a construct in their head of what they say God is. They will say, God is this. Well, why is God that? Because that's who I've made God to be. And they create a a, a construct in their head for who they say God is. And so if you talk to 10 different people at the mall, who is God? And they answer with 10 different ways. It's because they're trying to create a construct in their head of who God is. This is so important for us. God is not the construct we think of in our head or try to make him be. God is who he says he is. We don't mold or fashion or create who God is. God has created who he himself is, and we submit to that. Amen? So he is who he says he is, not who we try to make him to be. And then this last one is going to lead us into the second point here. He seeks, this I am God is a revealing God. He seeks to reveal himself to us. It's why he set a bush on fire and invited Moses over to it and spoke to him. It's why he has given us his word. It's why creation even exists, that this God is a revealing. He is seeking to reveal himself to creation. And we're going to get more to that point in a minute with the second point of the sermon. But I just want to stop here, and I just want to say something to us about this first point. When we study something like Exodus chapter 3 and God revealing himself to us is, I am who I am. We can often read that in our quiet times in the word and just be like, wow, man, that's deep. Move on. Like, where's the practical nugget for my life today? We, are, we live in a culture of pragmatics. We live in a culture of give me the three easy steps and give it to me quickly. Now, on this note, thinking about God as the great I am, I want to encourage us as contemporary Christians to slow the moments of our life down enough at times and think and meditate deeply on who God is. Not just how God is near and personal. We're going to get there because God is near and personal. Say amen. I want to make sure you all still awake, okay? God is near and God is personal, but we also need to take time to meditate and think deeply about the transcendence and majesty and vastness and holiness of God. Why? Until we stop and go, God cannot even be encapsulated in a name 
He is who he is. He's the uncaused cause. He's ultimate. He's the self-existent one. He's unchanged. Until we can think in that realm and go, my mind is absolutely blown with who the creator God of the universe is. Once we're there, then worship and awe will so overflow out of our heart when we think about him drawing near to us as father. But we're so quick at times to run right there. Like, he's so near and he's so personal. He is, he is, he is. Think deeply about his transcendence, and then you will be in awe of how near and personal he is. So he says, I am who I am. Now, I want to lead us into the next. Go, go, keep going left in your Bible, all the way back to the first page of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Remember what we're doing. The first two, verse, or the first two words of John 3.16, for God. God is the active agent. Who is this God? This God is the self-existent one. He is the I am. I am who I am. And then this I am created. So God is holy I am. God is also sovereign creator. We have to understand until... Um, 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 we cannot have a, full, uh, a great understanding of who God is until we see him as sovereign creator. The one who ordered all of this. The one who's allowing us to be here and breathing. And so what I want to do on this point is I just want to let God's word speak for itself. I want to read through all of Genesis 1. That's going to take us into Genesis 2. I'm going to stop reading at Genesis 50. Okay? I'm kidding. I'll stop it. I'll put the brakes on about a couple of verses in to Genesis 2, but I want us to think deeply about God as creator here. And because I won't be able to help myself, I'll stop at times and make some comments as we read this. But Genesis 1, think deeply about creator, sovereign creator God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Nothing was there. Pure and total chaos, pure and total nothing, absolute darkness. And the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of God was there, was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. So there's nothing completely nothing. There's total darkness. God says, he speaks into the darkness, light, and there's light. And God said, let there be light. And there was. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning the first day. And God's not done. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And then God said, let the waters 
under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So just stop there the next time you're sitting there on a beach with the ocean out in front of you and go, God drew the borders of this. And God called the waters out here, and he made the land come up here. This this is our God. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. To separate the day from the night. Who saw that full moon this morning? (laughs) 11 o'clock service wasn't up then. (laughs) And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And the stars And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. Stop. Hey, Dad, Dad, how did the moon get there? And how did the sun get there? And how did the stars? God set them in the expanse of the heavens. Well, you know, scientifically, he didn't really. No, no, no. God set them in the expanse of the heavens. Come on, this is why when you're laying flat on your back under a a, a night sky blanketed with stars and you're seeing a sliver of a moon, why something in your heart is crying out worship. Why? Why? Not because, well, you know, this because God sent them in the expanse of the heavens. There's a God over all of that. That's why. That's why you're sitting on a a seashore and you're watching a sunrise over the ocean. Something is crying out in your heart. It's because there's a God who set that there. And so God, he sets them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And, And God saw that it was good, just like you do, just like I do, when we're under the stars and we're, God... That's good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. You've been to the Indianapolis Zoo. You see the dolphin show? Do they not blow your mind? Have you seen the videos of like a whale coming out of the water and its tail slapping, creating a tidal wave? What, why we in our heart go, that is awesome, isn't just because dolphins and whales are awesome. It's because there's a creator God who's created dolphins and whales to be awesome. Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves 
with which this waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning. The fifth day, don't check out on me here, okay? Because we're coming to how near this God came down to us. But we can't understand his nearness until we understand his transcendence, until we see him as creator. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things. Even the creeping things are of God, okay? And beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Did you see that in every day? And it was so. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Look at me. Every one of us in this room right now have been made in the image of God. The Imago Dei. You are an image bearer. You're like, oh, what's my life? What's so special about you're made in the image of God? And God's going to keep reiterating this point. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. And the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life I've given every green plant for food and it was so and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was it was what come on it was very good God looked at his creation and he said that is very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day But pastor, I mean, yeah, I get that. You know, I've done the theological studies of God as creator, but like how does that intersect with my life tomorrow on a Monday? Here's how it does. Creation always longs in its heart for its creator. Once we understand, this is why there's so much at stake with theology of God as creator. Creation always longs in their heart for their creator. And guess what? Our hearts are no different. Every single one of our hearts in this room longs for relationship with your creator. God created this to be when he put male and female on the earth. Shortly after Genesis 1, we come to Genesis 3, where sin enters the world 
the fall happens and communion and fellowship with God is severed. And this is what sin does. Sin separates. And sin has separated all of us from this good, I am, self-existent, creator of the universe, God. But God, back to what we're studying with this series. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The goodness and the love of this creator God we've just talked about has, has mediated, has interceded through the sending of his son that we would come back into relationship by believing in Jesus. And this leads to this third point I want to highlight. God is the holy I am. God is sovereign creator. And God is loving Father. So last place I want you to turn. All the way towards the back of your Bible to a book called 1 John. Not the Gospel of John we were in, but 1 John. A letter that will be almost all the way to the back. You'll come to Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and then the book of 1 John. And now I want all the stuff we've been talking about. All the stuff we've been talking about. God is I am who I am. God is creator of the universe, sovereign creator. Now, he, look at how he's come near here. Let's be in all of these words that John communicates. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this. See what kind of love the, what's the word? The Father has given, us, given to us. That we should be called, what's the word? Children of God. And John make the point to us. And so we are. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children, that we should be called a son or a daughter of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The great I am God, the sovereign creator God, calls his children to himself as a loving, gracious, merciful, near father. And now if that word dad, that word father, in your life carries with it deep negative connotations because of the experience you've had in your home growing up of what a dad looked like. I need to, we need to pray that those will not be laid on how God describes himself to us as a father. Because when God says he's a father, he is the perfect representation of what he always intended father to be. He's perfect dad. He's near dad. He's loving dad. Scripture even speaks of him as appropriately disciplining dad. Why? Because he loves his kids. This is the father we're talking about here. And this means through faith in Jesus Christ, we get the privilege of being a son 
or a daughter of the I am self-existent creator of the universe, God. And this is the God who has acted on our behalf to send his son and call us out into relationship with himself. And I'm praying that on one of the days of this series, these four weeks, if you are here and you have never responded in faith to Jesus Christ, that today would be the day you hear the voice of God calling you in as a son, calling you in as a daughter, and today you would say, I believe, I turn from my sin and myself. Lord Jesus, come be my Lord and Savior. You say that to God today. And this folds us in as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so, what comes to mind when you think about God? For some of us this week, maybe as we've studied one element of today, you've gone, man, I've had such small views of God. I've not pressed down deeply into studies of his transcendence and his majesty and his holiness and really all that he is. Uh, this week, I just challenge you, find passages of scripture and we can help with that. That will just help expand your heart and your mind for who God is so that you can appropriately relate to him with the nearness of who he is. Others of you, maybe you've had the view, God is just this distant dad and he doesn't want a relationship with me. Go to the passages of scripture that speak of his love, that speak of his grace, that speak of his mercy, that speak of him as father, that speak of his nearness and understand the love that the father has lavished on you and the love that the father loves you with. But what comes to mind? Hey, church, stand with me right in your seat there. And we, we, cut, uh, we cut the worship set short before the message so that we could respond to a study of the character of God in the right way after the message. Because it's really important that when we, when we have a study, when we have a sermon on the character of the nature of who God is, that we understand the purpose of that isn't just so that we can be bigger and bigger theological fatheads, Right? I know more about God because of today. No, the purpose is worship. The head knowledge coming in here, a study of the doctrine of God should always drive down deeply in here and should always lead to this and should always lead to lives of worship. And so the appropriate response every time we study deeply the doctrines of God is to lift our voice and then praise the God that we just studied. Amen. And so let me pray. Let me pray. And let's prepare our hearts to worship accordingly in response to what we've studied. God, please, as we respond now, Lord, let these not just be empty words of going through the motions. God, please, as we've pressed down and studied and, Lord, you've, you've, you've stuck something in our head or you've opened up something in our heart that's revealed more of who you are to us. Lord, we want to respond now in a way that's fitting to that, not only in the songs that we're singing right now, but the lives that we go out to live this week. And so, God, please, would the study of you lead to lives of obedience and worship to you. In Jesus' precious name precious name.